self-managing organizations, there is still a team at the top. And in some other self-managing organizations, there is no team at the top. And, uh, and I think this is a really interesting topic for a video. Um, now, the first thing is, of course, you know, talking about the top um, is a misnomer when you talk about self-management, right? In, in sociocracy or holacracy, they give it different names, like, you know, the, the general circle. Um, in, in Niels Fleming's depiction, you know, he always draws um, these kind of roles at the center, right? And then sort of the frontline jobs that are directly in contact with, um, you know, customers and clients, you know, they, he draws them on the outside. Um, but, but what I'm talking about is the fact that still in many self-managing organizations, there are some roles um, that look some, from the broadest perspective at, say, sales or finance or marketing or production, right? Um, and they often meet as a team, right? Uh, let's take a typical example. Um, I don't know, a small manufacturing firm of, say, 100 or 200 people. You know, it might have three or four production teams. It might have a sales team. It might have a finance team. Um, might have an engineering team, um, you know, maybe an HR team. And what typically happens, even in self-managing organizations, is that each of these teams sends sort of a representative, right, to an overall team, right? Call it a top team or, you know, general team or broad team, whatever you want to name it. Um, so that's something that you see in quite a few self-managing organizations, right? I give you an example of a factory, but the same could be true of schools, right? I know schools where you have sort of the, um, the science department and the languages department and the arts department, and, um, and then each one of those sends sort of a representative to an overall team that does the coordination, right? Now, if you've watched the previous video where I talked about the fact that I think it's important to have cross-functional teams that feel full ownership, that's never how I would structure a school, right? Um, I think that structuring a school like the school in Berlin that I write about in the book makes much more sense where you have, um, you know, a number of teachers who feel responsible for a number of, of classes um, and rather than sort of, you know, arts and, and science and... Um, and literature, etc. Now, the question is, you know, do we actually need those kind of representatives that meet at the team at the top, right? Do, do we actually need to have regular weekly or monthly meeting of these coordinating functions, right? Um, now, I'm asking this not because this would be incompatible with self-management, um, but simply because I wonder if this is the best way to do it, right? Now, some people think, hey, if we have a team like this at the top, then it cannot be self-management. That's not true, right? Technically, you know, if these people don't have power over other people, right? So if you have things like the advice process, right? If you have things like peer-based evaluation, then, you know, these people simply, you know, meet to discuss some broad topics, but they have no mandate to then enforce whatever they discuss onto other people, right? And so you can have perfectly self-managing organizations 
we're still this sort of team of representatives, right? Um, so, you know, you could call it sort of a, a hierarchy of scope, but without a hierarchy of power, right? Of power over other people. But I still want to question the need for such a team, right? And I feel that oftentimes we install these teams sort of as a replacement for what we used to do, which is sort of an executive committee, simply because we lack the imagination um, of what this could look like, right? Um, and here's what this could look like, is that indeed there are moments where you need to have sort of broad conversations, right, that touch on all the aspects of um, the organization. Um, and so you want to have um, a number of people that step up to that conversation. The question is, does it always need to be the same group of people, whatever the topic? And I think a more powerful way to do that is to actually have these groups form ad hoc every time that a specific question arises. So say somebody feels like, hey, we should really think about the onboarding process, right, to help people ease into this world of self-management. Well, who are the people who are interested in that conversation? Who are the people from various places in the organization who want to step up for that conversation? Well, those people then, let's you know, have them step up and those people have the conversation. And then if you have another topic about finance or about you know, what have you, every time it can be a different group of people where those people who have experience in this, um, expertise, who have passion for it, um, you know, who want to drive this in their own area of the organization. Um, and so um, we actually have a much more fluid way of doing that coordination and many more people involved than what you would have if you have a team of representatives that meets whatever the topic is, whether it's actually interesting for them, whether they actually have something to contribute, or as it often happens, they sit through a meeting because they just have to sit through it, right? Um, now, I see some real advantages um, and some disadvantages to that, and I think it's, it's interesting to clarify those. Um, I see four advantages. Um, the first one is by not having a fixed team, always the same people, you're preventing a syndrome of inventing work. Right? And the first time I really understood this, and the person that talks about it very well is Jost de Bar Bloch at Bürtzorg. Right? He talks about the fact that um, people in sort of management functions or staff functions or in these broadest roles um, tend to invent work. And he gives a very um, powerful uh, story about this. He was talking, you know, he, early on uh, at Bürtzorg, um, he and the coaches would meet on a monthly basis, right? So if you remember Bürtzorg, they have all these teams of 10 to 12 nurses working in self-management. And then they have a number of coaches that simply serve, you know, to support these teams if needed. Now, these coaches have a very broad perspective of what's happening in the teams, what are the teams struggling with, what's working well. And so it made sense for Jos de Bloch and these coaches to meet every once in a while and just take stock of, hey, what's happening out there? What's working? What isn't working? But what they found was when they were meeting on a monthly basis is that they started inventing work, right? 
So you see something that needs happening. Oh yeah, you know, we could actually improve the onboarding process and maybe leadership development program would be good. And maybe, you know, we could add this or that to our IT platform. And so they're starting to, you know, out of the best intentions to devise all of these projects, all of these things um, that people on the floor might never have asked for, right? And, and I can see the danger of that, like, you know, put me in a room to talk about things and I can come up with tons of ideas that I think are brilliant and accept that are they really needed on the ground or is this just me getting carried away by, you know, my own ideas? Um, and so Jos de Bloch stopped having these meetings. He just stopped having these meetings so that they wouldn't start inventing all sorts of work. Right? So that's, that's one benefit. I, th I think another one that's closely related is that when you create these um, teams, these representative teams, you actually subtly but very real, in a very real way, disempower um, the teams to do, to do the actual work, right? Um, so when, imagine that Birchrock had continued with these regular meetings. Now, if am I'm in one of these teams of nurses and I feel that something needs to be done about onboarding, I would simply say, hey guys up there, like you guys meet, you know, you should do something about onboarding, right? I would fall back into looking at this as a hierarchical um, construct and I would feel somewhat disempowered. I would just ask them to do it. Now at Bürtzorg, there no longer is any of these meetings. So if I feel strongly about something, I need to reach out to all the other nurses and say, I feel something needs to be done about onboarding. Do you guys feel like this too? And if yes, well, let's put together a volunteer team. So by not having a team of delegate, you know, it, it pushes everyone to step into their power and to step up and to call these meetings and then participate in these meetings, right? Um, and that's how you get real distribution of power. A third thing is that by not having these coordinating teams, I think you tap much more into the collective intelligence of the organization, right? There's a tendency when you have this team of representatives that they feel like, hey, yeah, they represent the whole organization. So we can just make, you know, think about things and make decisions, right? Even when you have the advice process. But think about it, the kind of conversation that should happen in these broader circles are really the very important conversations, right? Um, sort of strategic conversations and visions and, you know, should we make this major decision, yes or no? And I would argue that, you know, the advice process would probably in almost all of these times want you to involve way more people than those people in that little circle, right? Because way more people than people in that circle have some expertise about these broad questions and will be impacted by them. And so by not having these dedicated circles, when one of these questions arises, what typically happens is that you actually have invite a much broader segment of the organization to participate in, the, in this conversation. And so you actually tap into much deeper um, collective intelligence of the organization. And then a fourth benefit is that by having for every question a different kind of configuration, a different set of people coming together for a conversation, 
is that you actually create a deep sort of network, you know, meshwork of relationships where people know one another much more, where people see one another much more in their strengths, which hugely benefits the organization. So rather than having a small group of six, seven, eight people be always the usual suspects and they know themselves really well, but the rest of the organization almost never comes together. Um, here you suddenly have this very deep network of knowledge of relationships, which benefits the organizations even outside of the moments where they get together. So those are four, I think, major advantages for not having such a team at the top. Um, there are, of course, also disadvantages. I see at least two. Um, one is team formation, right? Um, if you always have the same group of people, they learn how to work together. Um, whereas every time that you have a new group, they have to go through a small phase of getting to know one another and, and, and how people operate. Um, and there's also an advantage of continuity, right? When these teams have various conversations, these conversations can build onto one another. Um, if you have a different configuration, that doesn't quite happen. Um, but that being said, I think the advantages far outweigh the disadvantages. And so I would really um, invite you to consider, could you um, operate without having a dedicated team at the top? Right? or a dedicated team looking into the broadest question to use a more precise language. Right? Now that's a, that's a challenge, and particularly if you're operating with something like sociocracy or holacracy. What, what could that mean? Well, one thing is that you could simply not fill the roles in the general circle. Right? And actually, people could just come and fill these roles you know, as needed when... A conversation needs to happen, right? Um, so that's that's one way to think about it in sociocratic or holocratic terms. Um, now, maybe you're not quite there yet, right? In the transformation, um, I you know I see quite some organizations who, at some point in their transformation, sort of get rid of the existing executive committee. Um, but um, you know that might be a transition, and it might be too early to do that as of day one. And something interesting that I've seen one organization do um, is that the executive committee came together and had a conversation about what is it that we still want to do, at least for now, and maybe at some point we'll no longer do it. And what are all the things that we no longer will do, right? And I don't remember exactly, but they came up with three sort of things. Like, yeah, we want to validate the overall strategy we want to look at the overall finances, you know, some things that we still feel that we need to be in control of um, before we let that go. But one thing they very clearly decided is we will no longer make any operational decision. All of those things will happen in these ad hoc meetings and conversations based on the advice process. And so that could be sort of a, a way to do the transition um, up until the day where you feel like, hey, yeah, this is really working. We no longer need as, you know, a broad circle, you know, a, a team at the top, um, we can actually trust that the right people will come together uh, whenever there's a need for coordination or decision that impacts the organization as a whole. Perhaps you've noticed there is no paywall, no monthly membership to access this video series. That's because the videos live in the gift economy. This is how it works. 
I gift everything that goes into making the videos, my time, energy, and insights, and you get to choose what feels right to gift back. Please take a moment to reflect on what would feel good to give in return to help me continue doing this work. Thank you.